0: everyone welcome to another episode of the talk louder podcast please hit that subscribe button on the youtube channel leave us your comments and likes you can also leave comments and likes on the facebook page and follow us on itunes and spotify i am uh, metal dave blessner along with my co-host jason mcmaster and today we're going to talk about some random memories that each of us have of uh time we've spent with, uh, some of our favorite musicians or, uh, guys in bands, girls in bands, whatever, just memories that we have of hanging out a little bit. And, uh, we'll share all that in just a little while. Uh, but first let's, uh, let's hear from Jason. What you got going on this week, Jason?
1: I don't know. Just uh, wanted to ask you, you ready to drop a bunch of names? <laughs> <laughs> I am. I got, yeah, a, you know, you know me, I got a bunch of names to drop. Yeah, Um, I am doing good. I am uh, super excited about uh, this podcast all the way around. Um, I am not one to read comments, but uh, some people I know and some people I don't know personally, uh, which is always with commentaries... are com- I'm reading them and they're sending messages out and they're saying they like my background and they're saying that that uh, my uh my uh leather face, somebody named Jason Leonard commented. I don't know if you saw that, he said he likes my leather face. It's limited edition, just so you know, Jason Leonard. Wow. It's limited edition, it's got the blood splatter on it. That yeah. means it's worth like twenty two dollars instead of fifteen <laughs> ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway um so that's cool no just more of the same uh more writing um thinking got my first shot thinking about uh possibilities of uh getting broken teeth into a rehearsal room um i know igniter is about to do that probably end of this month and so yeah uh lights at the end of the tunnel um, I think, you know, every time we turn around, there's a freaking holiday that someone's going to have, you know, 30 people in their living room, and their house is smaller than mine, and my house is not large, and I think that you can, you know, people are, are forgetful that you can still carry and contract and uh, spread COVID even if you've been shot 20 times by the uh, the vax, so... Yeah, um
0: I got my second shot so I'm looking forward to uh getting out a little more. Um
1: Yeah, but you still got to, you know, you still got to wear your mask, Dave. So yeah, yeah, you still yeah. Got to yeah. six feet apart, you know.
0: Yeah, right. You still got
1: to say, "Hey, get the hell away from me." Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, much like you, I'm also uh, enjoying the podcast. I do follow the comments. I kind of uh, oversee the uh, Facebook page and I I look at YouTube and check out the comments and I've been really uh, happy with the, the response we're getting. We've got some people that are uh, regulars as far as commenting and all that stuff. And uh, they're sending in some requests and sharing their memories with us. And uh, I've seen people are buying T-shirts. We love all that. Uh, so thank you to all of you that are doing that. And uh, please continue to share. The uh the episodes with your friends and family and whoever uh, else. I
1: think is- the uh, I think the uh, the director of this bloody and bruised untold story of the back room the yeah the the, the movie thing that's a documentary about our beloved uh, sacred holy ground that was uh, the club our our you know mid sized rock club here in Austin in the eighties. It's gonna be cool. It's uh schedule. I saw that it's scheduled for 2023. Yeah. That's a long ways away. But anyway, uh the teaser is out. And uh, what I'm getting at is the, the, the director of the film Boudreau ordered, ordered talk louder swag.
0: Oh nice. Yeah, all right. Oh three shouts he, for Boudreaux.
1: Yeah, he's yeah. uh he's worthy. So, uh, yeah, that's cool.
0: Yeah, that that's that's great. Um, yeah, that that documentary is going to be fun. It does it is coming out in 2023, the early part of 2023, and I think they're anticipating a lot of post production, and I think they're trying to time the release to coincide with the film festival season. Um, so I I guess it's safe to say they would miss it in 2022. That means the first opportunity would be 2023 to make that kind of splash. And if that's what it takes to get it in front of, uh, you know, that kind of audience, then more power to them. I've seen the trailer. Uh, They interviewed uh, me and you and a bunch of other people that were in the scene, and uh, they're doing quality work. You know, the the camera work is great, the audio looks good, and uh, all the editing on the trailer looked great. So, yeah, something to look forward to in 2023, and I'm sure they'll be teasing out little bits between now and then. So, I like how page you can follow it's called yeah. bloody and bruised Bl- uh, yeah bloody and bruised the untold story of the back room check it out on facebook
1: yeah i was gonna say uh i like it that the still shots and the uh video clips and things like that that are arch- that their archival footage is like we know who's behind the camera it's dead through it you know <laughs> It's uh, We know all the photographers' names, so it's like, oh, I know that shot. I know who took that. I know what year that is. It's like a family album. Right. Family family photo album, right.
0: For us, it brings back a lot of memories, and for the audience that isn't aware of the back room or wasn't maybe uh, part of that scene, they're they're in for a real treat. Um, I would enjoy this film if I wasn't so closely associated with the back room. If this was a club in Seattle... That I had nothing to do with, and somebody put together a quality documentary, I would be all over it. So yeah,
1: there's a there's a club in uh, Seattle. I think it's called the Off Ramp. That's famous for all of the Seattle scene playing. I'm sure there's even more famous uh, clubs in the Seattle scene or, or whatever. But but they're all they that that should it's probably documented in some kind of Seattle grunge documentary movie. It probably is, but. Uh, broken teeth we played the off-ramp and i and i know it to be this infamous club for the obvious reasons and uh i think i got the name right anyway every big music scene has got a back room or an off-ramp or you know has a a medium-sized pub-sized bar with maybe they have a bigger room for road shows or whatever but
0: yeah yeah um, yeah it's Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. And I'm glad to hear that Boudreaux is supporting the podcast and bought some swag. So thank you, Boudreaux. Uh, Let's get into our main topic for today. Today, we are talking about uh, random memories that Jason and I have of uh, spending time with uh, some names you might know, recognize, whatever. Uh, We... Kind of hate to use the word rock star, but let's face it—that's what some of these people are. So,
1: More memories.
0: Memories that uh, each of us uh, have uh, stories to share. Uh, memories that will uh, that will hold dear and keep with us. Some of them are funny. Some of them are just uh, interesting things that happened somewhere along the way. So, Jason, I'll start with you.
1: Okay, which one would you, I- you like to hear?
0: i don't know you uh i mean your your list is probably pretty extensive i do recall you mentioning at one point uh the name duff mckagan so do you have something with duff you can share with us
1: um yeah i was uh i was i didn't really have any personal friendship or uh acquaint acquaintance type of um meeting with duff uh like i saw guns and roses a few times before you know i was actually i I was not worthy i guess you know (laughs) i guess i hadn't reached the top of the mountain that you that you have to climb in order to be standing in front of duff to where he's speaking to you like you're a peer kind of thing Until I was, uh, I was actually dating a seamstress, uh, who was friends with, uh, his one, his first wife, I believe. But anyway, uh, the great people, um, everyone involved, uh, I, it was Thanksgiving and, um, I was informed uh, by my significant other at the time that we were going to Duff's house to hang out and just have, have some kind of Thanksgiving get together and that it was just going to be uh, the four of us. And yeah. And it was in, he was renting a house in, I think in Laurel Canyon and, and, Turns out, I I think I had been to that house before, or driven, dropped somebody off there before, because I've heard of other people living in the same house. I think a guy that used to actually drum tech for LA Guns, and then eventually uh, Matt Sorum in the cult, and then when he joined Guns N' Roses, I I think he actually lived there for a while. It's the same house. And uh, anyway, that's not a board, it's just a sidebar, but um so we get we get in the house, I, I meet his dog Chester, <laughs> and uh this is when Duff was drinking, of course. This would have been in like uh 88, 89, 88, I think. Yeah. And uh he starts singing my buddy, my buddy, to <laughs> to Chester. I'm going, Oh. Yeah, he's had a few already. <laughs> he's happy. He's good. He's in a good place. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we you know, I get in there and uh and the ladies, you know, disappear to wherever the wine was. That's an easy way to say it. Probably in the kitchen. And then uh I'm just looking I'm just looking around at all of the uh you know, in I had spent a little time in hollywood and california and stuff like that but more on the underground underground side of it i had been there the year before a couple of years before hanging out with like gene hoagland i could probably name drop gene a bunch during this episode as well since we're kind of talking about you know brushing elbows with badasses right yeah um
0: here's the episode title
1: yeah well you know that whatever works i like name droppers just because it's fierce but anyway so um i'm blown away at all of the what i'm getting at is when you walk into a studio there's gold and platinum sales awards and shit like that all over the place so you don't know where where look you're looking up you're looking down someone's talking to you you and you're you're in disneyland holding mickey's hand you know you don't you don't care about anything but holding mickey's hand right (laughs) so i'm looking around and he's like oh yeah don't pay any attention to those my wife wants me to hang those everywhere and she's doing all the decorating and blah blah blah. and i'm like uh dude no this is (laughs) rad and i'm gonna soak all this up And uh, this is before cell phones, you know, so I would just would have been like taking video or so. Well, you know what? You know me. I'm not really like that. Yeah. So I probably wouldn't have done that. I'm not a selfie kind of a person. So anyway. uh, So I'm just running around basically in the hallway in the living room looking at all this stuff that he was being humble about, which is really awesome. And uh, he's watching football and I'm just... I'm just hanging out, telling him how, how much I don't really care, give a shit about sports. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't, and I still don't. He's uh, sports fan. He's yeah, a, he's a sports fan. Sports, uh, I find yeah. that most, uh, most headbangers and people in rock and roll and people, they like sports. Yeah. And I guess I'm just this weird nerd that, you know, I'd rather, I don't know. Yeah. I'd rather go draw a picture or, or build something or write a song or something like that than watch sports. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, so he was really great. And, you know, we were over there for a few hours, you know, what would maybe resemble half a day. And uh, he was great. But by the end of it, he was he was drinking the whole time. Yeah. And it was just really cool. And uh, there's not really a whole lot to, to tell about that. Um, I had talked to him on the phone a couple times. He had, uh, he had actually called me and invited me over, uh, w- you know, with, without the significant others, it, w- it just would have been me and him again. He says, come over and watch football with me. And I was like, dude, I have a photo. I had to work. I had a photo shoot. i literally had a photo shoot that day. It wasn't like shit. I made up to tell a a, a famous rock star, well, dude. I, you know, you're, you don't have a photo shoot. You're done. I'm, I've (laughs) got to go do a photo shoot. You know (laughs) what I mean? So, yeah. And then another time he was interested in having me sing on the loaded demos. And I think he ended up getting Sebastian to sing on the loaded demos. Oh, wow. And then ultimately he ended up being the singer in loaded, which I'm glad that worked out because it's kind of the Zach Wilde story or the, uh, um, or the uh John Sykes blue murder thing you know he sang on all his demos and and he was going, yeah you know of course we're gonna get a singer and the and the label dude is like, are you freaking kidding me this is awesome you're if you don't sing on it we're not putting it out like, oh okay well I guess I could do that should I better practice you know kind <laughs> of a thing yeah but uh Duff was really uh down to earth and just he's all about the music and just people and not full of himself at all yeah and uh you know those uh i cherish that time and those phone calls by 92 i was uh found myself backstage use your illusion tour when brian may was opening for guns and i was there yeah of course he was like he was like hey dude you know like you know he of course he he didn't forget who i was you know And he was like, it wasn't like, uh, it was more like me going, hey, remember I was the dude at your house and my buddy, and you know, how's Chester (laughs) doing? And but, uh, you know, that kind of shit. It was more like me going, you know, like you know, party on, Wayne. You know, (laughs) I'm not worthy. Kind of a scene from Wayne's World. You know. Uh, So, uh, so that was cool. And he told. Then he told me a dirty joke in front of a bunch of other people that the joke was completely inappropriate and uh that was the when axel had the wombat the baby wombat that the story that i've told you about axel <laughs> maybe i should finish that and then let you have a chance so i had never really had never i still haven't officially met axel but at that 92 uh brian may Uh, I think I saw him twice on that tour, once with uh, Soundgarden and once with Brian May. Unless that was the same gig, and I don't think it was.
0: I don't think it was. I I was there and I'd remember. Yeah.
1: Anyway, this was the time with Brian May and uh, Brian May It was the only time I've ever been close to Brian May sitting in the small room. So it's Duff on my left and Brian May across the room and the room is small. It's like a It's not a meet and greet. It's more like I'm up in the belly of the beast. You know, they got jams going and decorated like an opium den. And there's anything you want to drink and all that crap. Everything that's, you know, if you've seen scenes from the dirt, it's not really like that. (laughs) Uh, It was just chill, you know? Yeah. And um, Axel's over there holding some kind of strange marsupial (laughs) in his lap. (laughs) <laughs> and I got up and walked around the room and got behind like his right shoulder above where he was standing. And I know he knew I was standing there and I'm looking over. I'm just going, Whoa. and I'm tripping more. I'm trying to leave Axel alone, but I want to see what the hell he's got in his lap. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he, he has like a wombat. It's a some, it was some, anyway, <laughs> um, Timmy Doyle was working for, uh, Matt Sorum, and I kind of knew Matt because uh, the Toys toured with the cult. Yeah. He was in the cult before Guns' uh, Sonic Temple tour. So yeah. I was back. There. Timmy Doyle worked for L.A. Guns. I toured with L.A. Guns. Anyway, it was a, it, uh, acquaintances and friends, and it was the reason I was back there. Nice. And I, was with, I was with Jeff Tweedy. But anyway, that's pretty much all of the Duff I can uh, recall. Well, that's so great. That's all my Duff. Yeah, that's that was some great. good Duff
0: thanksgiving with duff that's and chester that's pretty cool that's right that's right <laughs> i was digging through uh my mental rolodex and uh trying to come up with some uh memories for this show things to share and uh i i found that uh i have a handful of uh of memories that are very spinal tapish and uh those are always those are always great so um i'll start with uh Uh, it's about somewhere between 90 and 92. And, um, I was in San Antonio going to see Danzig and White Zombie play together at a club called Sneakers in San Antonio that you're very familiar with. And, um, I went down there during the afternoon as I, as I used to do and try to hang out at Soundcheck or meet the bands, uh, after Soundcheck, before after Soundcheck, get some albums signed, that sort of thing. And I had done a phone interview with Rob Zombie a couple weeks beforehand, and at the time I was still in college, so I was writing the article for my college newspaper. And, you know, White Zombie's an up-and-coming band, so they're happy to talk to college newspapers. You know, any press is good press, right? So um, I go to the club, and I'm hanging around, trying to get autographs and, and run into the band. And Rob Zombie and Sean uh, Ysalt, I believe is how you pronounce her name, the bass player in White Zombie, they step out of the building. I remind them, hey, I'm the guy that interviewed you a few weeks ago. We're chit-chatting. This is behind the building. You know, they just stepped out of the back door. The tour bus is parked back there. And we're just getting acquainted, getting to know each other. And around the opposite corners of the building comes these police cars. And they're hauling ass. And they come around the corner from opposite directions and they come screeching up and they pin me and Rob Zombie and Sean in the middle of about three to four cop cars. And we're freaking out, like, what's going on? The doors fly open, the cops jump out, they come over to us, they're asking for our IDs. And of course, I've got mine on me, so I just hand them my ID. Well, Rob and Sean don't have theirs on them. They are are claiming that their IDs are on the bus. And the cops don't, you know, I can't recall if somebody on the bus saw the commotion and, and, and came out with the IDs or if Rob or Sean went back to the bus and got the IDs. But ultimately, the IDs were produced. Zombie and Sean hand over their IDs to the cops. The cops are looking at the IDs. They're whispering. They're talking on their radios. And we're going, what's going on here? What's going on? And they said, well, uh, we got a call. Uh, that uh, there were some people that were breaking into cars at a Long John Silver's restaurant across the street, and you guys matched the description.
1: <laughs> okay, hold on a second. <laughs> hold up. <laughs> so let me guess, at this time, you had hippie hair down to your ass. Yes. All yes. one link, Cousin It style. Yes. Okay, now, maybe there is quite a large demographic in san antonio with that hairstyle this is my point exactly well the other point would be i don't know a whole lot of people who look like members of uh white zombie uh, unless they're a huge fan right and they're and they have uh green hair with bones in their noses (laughs) and ripped up jeans with patches of frankenstein all over them
0: right exactly so that's my other point i'm sitting here thinking to myself okay i could see me matching the description of somebody but who looks like rob zombie in 1992 in broad daylight or even sean even sean yeah Yeah. last,
1: last last night's grease paint yeah, night's grease paint. Sean's
0: got bones in her hair, and Rob Zombie's got the denim jacket with the tattered patches, and he's got the dreadlocks, and he's wearing the Dawn of the Dead t-shirt. <laughs> and I'm thinking, who matches this description? I'm thinking the cops are working off of a very uh, general description without a lot of detail because— in 1992, nobody matches the description yeah, of Rob. Yeah, so. yeah.
1: So, so hold on. <laughs> There's nothing general about that at all. Like you're the general description. I am. It, you are because you're not. You don't have bones in your hair <laughs> with last night's grease paint
0: on. Right. So. Right. I'm the normal looking one, yeah. and I, by most standards, I'm not that normal looking at but all. I'm right. Thinking, okay. Yeah, I could see it. We are in San Antonio. I am hanging around a rock club. Granted, it's four o'clock in the afternoon and no one's here. But if the description being phoned in said we've got three long hairs breaking into some cars, then I understand. But you take a little a closer look and uh, you get you basically have one long hair and two street people, (laughs) you know, with uh, with the dreadlocks and the bones in their hair and all that good stuff. So anyway, the cops cleared us, and we all had a good chuckle, including the cops. And they were like, uh, so what's the name of your band? And, you know, Rob's telling them White Zombie. We're playing here later tonight. And they were like, okay, well, uh, enjoy, your, uh, enjoy your time in San Antonio and have a good show tonight. And then I, before they left, I said, hey, do you mind uh, taking a photo of me and Rob in front of your car? Because there's one of these cop cars in the background. <laughs> So they're like, sure. So they take a photo of uh, me and Rob Zombie with uh, San Antonio's finest parked in the background. And then we got one of uh, of me and Sean also. So the cops let us go. They had a good laugh at the whole thing and they left. And then um, Rob and Sean said, "Uh, so, hey, man, do you know where we can get a cup of coffee around here? And I'm familiar with the area, of course, and I said, yeah, if you go around this corner take a left, as soon as you turn the corner, there's a mom-and-pop convenience store right there, and they'll probably have some coffee for you. And they were like, great, thanks. We'll, uh, we'll catch up with you later. And they started walking off, and I'm watching them leave, looking at them from behind it. I'm thinking <laughs> – some poor store clerk at the mom-and-pop convenience store is about to get the fright of their life when these two show up looking for a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah,
1: you, you being from San Antonio, let me ask you this because, you know, I write songs about this kind of shit. I write <laughs> songs about this, about, you know, you know, I, I dedicate songs. You've heard me talk about it. It's like this song is, I think I d- used to dedicate the song Electric. Yes, To, to the, the following, to the lifestyle, to, you know, this goes out to the people who wake up every morning and kiss their Slayer poster. <laughs> they bow down to their Motorhead collection before they go to school or before they put on the suit and tie and go to work. This is what this song is about. In San Antonio, you know, or I also say it, this, this is dedicated to the demographic, if you will. Of the people who shave their head, who have long hair, who have no hair, who have a green mohawk, who have a who have blue sideburns, who are wearing the misfit <laughs> shirt every day of the week until it stinks so bad they get kicked out of the seven eleven yeah so so this is you know this is us, and this is our army in San Antonio. My question to you is all of the above sounds fairly like a popular lifestyle because san antonio is a rock and roll city yeah yeah so so really is the is the is the clerk at the mom and pop shop the little you know 7-eleven are they gonna be are they gonna be uh freaked out or are they gonna um, be you guys dress like my son well well, I, the only reason I
0: say that is because I'm—I I used to live in an apartment behind sneakers, so I was in that convenience store all the time, and it was wow. a little mom and pop shop, and it was kind of out of the way, and it was run by a family, and you could—you would just imagine that this was not their typical walk-in traffic.
1: Okay, I get it. Now. <laughs>
0: Even in San Antonio, if this well, was—I well,
1: I'm—I'm I'm trying to give credit to San Antonio by <laughs> way of—you uh, know—the clerk might go holy crap, you guys are in White Zombie. You know, right. that could happen a right. block away. Yeah, and it probably would a block away.
0: If it was 7-Eleven on Nacogdoches, then sure, that nobody's going to bat an eye, you know? Yeah. But this is mom and pop in the, over in the cul-de-sac behind the, the low-rent apartments, and I'm sure they've never seen anything like these two.
1: <laughs> well, that makes it fun.
0: So that was a uh, that was my brush with the law, uh, with with uh, with Rob Zombie and Sean salt That was a that was a great time, and the pictures a classic. So uh,
1: that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, set me up. What do you? Which one do you want to hear?
0: Oh, I don't know. Did you mention David Lee Roth at one point?
1: Yes, I have a short David Lee Roth. Um, your David Lee Roth is way better than my David Lee Roth because he actually called your house and left. Funny messages and <laughs> interview with him is classic. It's probably my favorite. Um, I was in Hollywood, I want to say it was probably the f- the first time I actually walked up and down the strip, you know, sunset. Yeah. And uh, literally under the awning, and I think I had a little point and shoot. It wasn't a 35 millimeter, there's there's no cell phones. Nothing in, in the world is a digital anything. There's no digital media. Um, literally under the awning in front of the rainbow is David Lee Roth. I'm just walking by and out of the corner of my eye, and no one's messing with them, no one's seeing them. I saw them. Yeah. It's dark. The porch light is off, it's closed. It's late, okay? (laughs) Like, really late. And, you know, like, the bars are closed, kind of a moment, right? There's a little bit of traffic. People going to the next after-hours party or whatever, right? Going to their cars, whatever. And I'm by myself. And, like I said, under the awning, in front of the rainbow, uh, David Lee Roth, in the middle, and on his right is an Amazon woman, like giant blonde. It looked like somebody that could have been, it looked like the, the body. I don't know, this is it, I, it's of course, it's not her, but the bodybuilder that's in the like one of his videos. The just a giggle California girls California. Or, or just yeah, right. a gigolo. one of the body, you know, it looked like big hair, yeah. Um. Uh, just big she was big everything was big right like bigger <laughs> than him like taller and everything bigger you know. and on his left was I am assuming a driver or a bodyguard or whatever it was uh, it was a big black man and they were yucking it up they were just laughing and joking and all three of them were just having a good old time and they were obviously really close friends all three of them or maybe they weren't close friends and just met that night highly doubtful because just because of the the interplay right and i'm i'm literally frozen in my tracks going no one gives a shit am i the only you know i feel like the tourist with the camera around his neck going you know with the (laughs) gilligan hat and you know probably glasses (laughs) like these standing there going Oh my God, it's a rock star, you know, or whatever. And uh, that's exactly what I, what I was doing. Yeah. And I kind of, I inched closer to what was going on and they full on well see me and they're not even reacting whatsoever. It's like, I'm getting closer and closer to the mouth of the lion's den, right? <laughs> and the only one that starts to react is what I'm assuming would have been the driver bodyguard. And, uh, uh, he's kind of like holding his hand out, like, that's close enough, young man, kind of thing, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I go, can I take a picture? And he's like, kind of like, I don't think that's a good idea. He's motioning because they're still yucking it up, right? I'm not a threat, and they know I'm not a threat. And I didn't get to, (laughs) like... Have a conversation. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just visualizing this. I'm visualizing. I've got this
0: mental image of David Lee Roth just cackling on and on and on. And you're like standing six inches away and he's just oblivious. <laughs>
1: oh, man. He's just doing this and being David Lee Roth, man. He's just, uh, yeah. He's just doing this and God, you know, he's just being Dave. And exactly how I would expect him to sound and look and everything. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm getting closer and closer, and I'm getting the, the no-no from, you know, his secret service. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm like, damn, he, they really don't want me to just snap this photo. And I, I think I turned the flash off, and yeah. I did snap a photo, but that was after, and it came out like shit. It's dark. It's just three phantoms in the dark, and you can't really tell look yeah. it's my picture of daily roth and it's just a sm- silhouette smidge on a piece of paper, right <laughs> uh but i did shake his hand i put my hand out and, and roth did put his hand out and i got to shake his hand He oh. it was like sh- but it was like shaking hands with a tree no he did you know he was it was a night off and i'm bugging him on his night off on his night out on the town you know he's at home and and I'm trying to sell him Girl Scout cookies. He didn't want to. <laughs> he didn't want to meet me, but so no convert, conversing or anything like that. But that was my brush with Roth. If yours kills mine. I'm well, just glad that you enjoyed my Roth story because that's all it is. It's nothing. No, else. that
0: that's funny because yeah, I mean these...
1: I have an Eddie Van Halen that's that's maybe slight only a a slightly slightly more exciting, um, but again your eddie van halen blows mine away because you're a journalist and you're actually had been invited to interview them for a half an hour that's different than me you know being actually eddie crept up on me and was asking "Where's sam because i was in sammy hagar's dressing room and he comes in going where's sam and he's yeah. literally right behind me, and I've got a mouthful of carrots from the deli tray. Or <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I heard out of Eddie's mouth. Where's Sam? He's like, "Oh, we're just in here eating his deli tray," which he didn't. Eddie didn't give a crap about that. He was just all looking right. for Sam. Oh, all right, cool. Turn around and leave. <laughs> so there you go. There's my Roth and my Eddie rolled into that's, one. That's good stuff, man. Yeah. Any any
0: time with Roth however fleeting is is worth remembering and and sharing i
1: I got one to throw at you that you probably don't recall do you remember being uh in the dressing room backstage uh after seeing down play at la zona rosa (laughs) me and me and you sort of like snuck back there and we're hanging out with uh kirk Weinstein. and it was kirk Weinstein we were hanging out with pepper was trying to you were sitting on Pepper's jacket. I'm not trying to embarrass you. You were sitting <laughs> on Pepper's jacket, and he's trying. He's behind your chair, peeling it up. You didn't know this. You're <laughs> leaning forward, but your your ass is on his jacket, and he's trying to. He's looking at me, going like, making a face, like, dude, this dude's sitting on my jacket. He's trying to get my jacket. <laughs> that was what. That was Pepper. Pepper was leaving the room. He would. Kirk uh was had some friends back there with him, and we were just. Kind of bugger, we were just bugging them, yeah, I and remember Kirk, that. Is, Kirk is gracious, Kirk is the nicest, one of the nicest cats I've ever met, and I, I met him I met him through uh Daryl Abbott, some call him dimebag, yeah. yeah, I met him through Daryl uh I, at savvy's in like the early nineties ninety two ninety three we went through uh uh Arlington, I believe. Where they where he lives and and that's the first time I met Kirk from Crowbar, which, yeah, way before down a few years before down so, I so. do
0: remember that night because uh, you you got us backstage and we were hanging out with Kirk, and I do remember pepper and i the thing I always remember about that night was Rex uh because he was kind enough at the end of the night they cleared the venue and we're still hanging out with uh, with Rex and Kirk right and, and Rex,
1: we, Rex was in and out of our little huddle with Kirk, yeah.
0: And at the end of the night, uh the venue is cleared and we're hanging out with Rex and we walk over to the merch booth, and he basically uh, you know gives both of us to tells us take your pick. And to this day, I have a down long sleeve jersey uh from that night that was given to me, handed to me by Rex
1: himself. So yeah. I have the same. I I, I have a uh I have a hoodie and a long sleeve jersey somewhere and i gave me he gave me the the beanie off his head i don't know if you remember that but rex gave me the down beanie right off his freaking head (laughs) yeah and i think someone stole that uh there's a picture someone posted on facebook just a couple days ago of me wearing that down beanie yeah oh john andrews john andrews posted two photos Uh, of him and his girlfriend and and it's just me random random photos with with him and his him and his girlfriend and in the picture of me and john andrew's girlfriend um i'm so sorry everyone i can't remember can't think anita her name's anita it's me and anita i'm wearing that gown beanie that rex gave me
0: yeah i do remember that night that was a great one
1: it was they were great um i remember philip being a little inebriated
0: I I don't remember Philip. I don't know that I ever saw him. Um, no, no,
1: no. On stage. You oh, saw On him. stage. On yeah. stage.
0: On stage, yeah. It was
1: one of those, just, it was just one of those, uh, probably not so rare nights during that tour where he was a little long-winded between songs.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's move on, uh, to, I've got another one. Um, this, this one is some, some people might've heard this story before, but, uh, it has to do with CJ Ramone, the bass player from the Ramones. And um, <clears throat> he was in town. It was around 2006, 2007. This is post Ramones, obviously. The Ramones called it quits in 96. And he's in town as part of South by Southwest with a band that he has at the time called Bad Chopper. And uh, I know, I found out that he was in town to perform. And, you know, as most artists do during South by Southwest, they show up, they have two or three gigs, and then they basically hang around the city for three, four, five days or whatever. So I'm aware that he's in town. I'm going to go try and find him and see if I can catch some of his shows and maybe hang out with him or whatever, because I'm a big Ramones freak. Well, I decide on purpose, I wear a Los Gusanos t-shirt, which is one of his band's Previous to Bad Chopper and after the Ramones, he had a band called Los gusanos, which is Spanish for the worms, I believe. Um, <clears throat> so I decide I'm going to go downtown. I'm going to wear this Los Gusanos shirt. And if I don't spot CJ, maybe he'll spot me because I'm going to be the only guy in town wearing a Los gusanos T-shirt.
1: Well, that that shirt is like chum in the water. Yeah, exactly. Bait. You're baiting him.
0: Exactly. That that's, was my plan.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good thinking. Well, you're, a fan. you're
0: yeah, a fan. Yeah, yeah. So I'm walking down the street. It's downtown Austin, and of course, there was a club for those who aren't familiar uh, called Emos, which was the punk rock club, and it was a pretty sizable venue. They had an indoor stage, an outdoor stage, and they used to bring in like mid-level size bands and uh during south by southwest you'd even have like some giant names play there johnny cash played there one year so anyway i'm walking down the sidewalk or walking down the street during south by southwest there's a line to get into emos uh, that's like down the street and around the corner and just goes on forever and i'm just strolling down the street and sure enough i hear this voice that says hey nice shirt and, you know, it's the New York accent and stuff, you know, <laughs> and I turn around and I'll be damned. It's CJ. And uh, I walk over to him and I I say hello. And he says hello. And I remind him that I've met him before and I've interviewed him. And he's like, oh, right, cool, cool, cool. And he's like, and he says, do you have any juice around here? Which was his way of asking if I had any connections to get him into this gig because he's standing in line with you know hundreds of other people that don't stand a chance of getting in and this this uh singer songwriter named holly go lightly was playing and he wanted to check her out because uh he was about to go do some some shows with her and he wanted to see what her vibe was all about or whatever and um and she was kind of a buzz band at that particular time and he asked me if I have any connections. So I said, Well, you know, I'm at Emo's probably twice a week because I live here. So let's go to the front. Let's go see who's working the door. We go up to the front door, and it couldn't have been a better guy. It was this guy named Gabe, who is a local punk rock bass player, and he used to play in the Contradicts. And then after the Contradicts, he played in a band called the Impossibles that I think was a little more of a ska punk band. But anyway, this guy is a punk rocker, and he's a bass player, and I'm introducing him to CJ Ramon at the front door of Emo's, and I ask him if he can do us a favor. <laughs> and of course, Gabe is only too happy to like slide us in, so I get CJ into this club, and we hang out at the
1: venue. Hold on a second. Yeah. It's good to be the king. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it's good to have Gabe work in the door that night, you know?
1: Well, yeah, but, you know, that that's sort of a uh, Mel Brooks thing. It's good to be the king. <laughs> well, I get, I get him and his band into the
0: venue. We're watching the show, and he says, he goes, I got to leave after she's done because I've got a gig. Do you know where a club called The Hole in the Wall is? And I said, yeah, of course I do. I live here. And he says, uh do you mind going with us so you can get us there? Cause this is before GPS and everything. Right. And I said, no, not at all. I'll, he goes, then you jump in the van with us and you get us over there and we'll get you into the show and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, great. So we leave, he's driving the van. I'm sitting shotgun. His band is sitting behind us. Uh, we get to the hole in the wall. We load in the gear. He does the show. We load out the gear. We're back in the van. And he says, somebody in there told me about a party at some warehouse on the east side of town, wherever that is. And I said, I bet I know what you're talking about. And he goes, you think you know how to get there? And I said, if it's the place I'm thinking, yeah. And he goes, all right, well, show me. So I'm navigating again. You know, I'm sitting shotgun, CJ's driving. We go to the east side.
1: Hi, I'm Metal Dave. I'm your punk rock tour guide in Austin, (laughs) Texas. On the right, I have sitting (laughs) CJ Ramone and his band. How are you guys doing?
0: exactly it was one of those so we get to the warehouse um and you know you know these after hours parties by now it's three or four in the morning and we walk into this warehouse and it's jam-packed full of people and there's kegs of beer everywhere and that all-girl uh, acdc tribute band hell's bells is played mm-hmm. so we're watching hell's bells we're drinking beer it's four in the morning i'm hanging out with one of my heroes this is just great right and so, I don't know, about five or six in the morning, uh, he's, he says, dude, we got we to gotta get out of here. He goes, uh, we'll, we'll take you home, and then we got to go. Um, and I said, great, that, that'd be great. So we jump back in the van. He drives me back to my apartment, the band guys and CJ. They drop me off at my front door as the sun is coming up. <laughs> Rock and roll. <laughs> That was my entire evening, as as you said, C.J. Ramone's Austin tour guide, and I couldn't have been more thrilled because you know how much of a Ramones fan I am. So that was like some I, quality time. I,
1: I love it. I I would even wear a, a t-shirt that commemorates that evening, like I survived an entire night of, <laughs> and then has the list like a like a uh, like a tour poster, like a list. Yeah, like all, all of the, uh, you know, e- emos at this time, hole in, the, in wall. the van at this time, hole yeah. in the wall at this time, after hours party at this time, a uh, special event featuring Hell's Bells, yeah. <laughs> uh, in the van at this time, uh, in Home. time for sunup.
0: Home for breakfast, yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that'd be yeah. awesome.
0: Uh, that was great. And I've I've shared that story with him in years past, and he totally remembers it, so uh, killer, that was fun. Let's talk uh, Dee Snider.
1: I have a Dee Snider story I can tell. So it was about 1984, and I don't know the date. I know I've looked it up before, but it barely anything sticks anymore. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I've looked up the date. It was Can't Stop Rock and Roll tour. That's how early it was. So wow. there's no there's no Stay Hungry.
0: Right? I was going to say Stay Hungry because that was 84
1: it's can't stop rock and roll so it's 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 early uh it's if it's if it's uh if they have it in the can i don't know it to be in the can stay hungry um so can't stop could have been late 83 maybe maybe um anyway so i'm with these uh couple of people from san antonio who um have ids that show they're of age. I don't want to say fake ID, but they they may have been fake because I I feel <laughs> like these cats were it was a guy named from San Antonio, Tony Helldog. I think that there's this other guy, uh Chris, that was uh with them who hung out with the SA Slayer dudes all the time. And it was also uh Ricky Warheit. Ricky Warhide is who I is he was my conduit to SA Slayer and, and Ricky was just the best guy. Anyway, um because I have a photo from that night of me holding up uh uh what's that their first D P uh Under the Blade. No. Prior to that. Oh. Uh Rough Cuts. Something oh. like that. like rough cuts
0: wow okay
1: yeah it's not on atlantic it's not on a major label anyway uh i'm holding that up in the photo i I might still have it i may have sold that because i was broke at one point anyway um my mom takes me and my brother randy and our friend brian bowen who kind of we used to be able to use each other's IDs uh, if necessary because we, we had long blonde hair and we were little punks, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, my mom is the is the key here because the drinking age had just changed. So my friends from SA, they had their own document that could get them through the door. The, the drinking age had just changed. Like I would. When I was 18, they changed the, in Texas, they changed the drinking age to 19. When I was 19, they changed it to 21. So I was chasing being able to get into uh, an alcohol establishment, uh, an adult establishment, right? So anyway, um, Twist's Sister was doing clubs. They played this place called Cardi's, which was out on Burnett Road, way north. Uh, they had one in Houston at the time. Uh, but I think the chain died years later, but anyway, there was nothing out there down on Burnet Road back then. one of the uh like i b m or something like that was one of the uh you know like there was that was one of the early computer corporations you know, and um they were way out there, and that was about all was out there was strip mall and anyway this club Cardies was way out there uh my mom gets us in. I think I'm 18. In 83, I'm 18, pretty sure. Yeah. So my mom gets the three of us in me, my brother Randy, and Brian Bowen. And then my friends from SA drove up and they got in on their own. So we were counting my mom, we were like seven people out of about 15 or 20 people there to see Twisted Sister. And we had the whole club to ourselves. There was no opening band. There was literally a Chippendales, like a male dance review. Yeah. <laughs> like an hour before Twisted Sister, like before they opened the door for Twisted Sister. Huh. So it had baited D Snyder to like be, uh, <laughs> hey, were you guys here for the male review? You know, he was able to like throw stones and have fun with that, you know. But they were on the road by themselves. I don't think they were, or it was an, a one-off, right? Yeah. And uh, I had a stack of records. My mom sat in the back and read a book. I had her point-and-shoot camera. I have the photos literally three feet away from me um, that I took. And, like, I'm so close, because there's no barricade. I'm so close, it's like D Snyder's nostril. <laughs> you know, and that's how close I am. Yeah. I've got a picture that's framed of like, you know, JJ French's face, like this close. <laughs> that's how close I was. I was in the front row. So it was like my own private Twisted Sister show. And you know what? They were fucking raging. Yeah. There's only, there's less than 20 people in the bar. They were on fire. Yeah. It was so intense. And it's like, you know what I mean? It was, it was like, there's almost nobody in here, and you guys are, like, machine gunning down, you know, whoever's watching. You guys yeah. are just killing it. And it was, it was, I learned a lot that night. And anyone who's never seen Twisted Sister because they just kind of wrote them off for whatever your reasons are, you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> you're dumb. <laughs> If you want to see someone just totally throw down some dirty ass rock and roll, look past whatever it is you don't like about Twisted Sister, you're going to learn some shit. Anyway. (laughs) So uh, the story is more about what happened after. And he even said, hey, y'all hang out. Don't go anywhere. We're going to go dry off and change, and we'll be back out to hang out with you guys. Literally said that in the mic just like what people do when it's diy hey yeah. we'll meet you over there at the merch table thanks thanks a lot guys that kind of thing is that's normal yeah that's normal for punk rock bands it's normal for diy doesn't matter if you're a singer songwriter or whatever hey i'm gonna come out there and hang out with y'all that's normal right you don't say that when you're in the arena right <laughs> but you but you right whatever even though the toys used to do that we'd open for the cult and then I'd show up at the merch table. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so we're all, everyone's hanging out. And Twisted Sister walks in and they're just hanging out. Taking anyone who has a camera, they take photos, they hang out. I, I got to hang out with AJ Perrault. I got to hang out with Dee Snyder. I got to hang out with JJ Frant. I got to hang out with all of them. Yeah. And I all my records, they signed them all. Most of them were imports. Because I'm a huge fan. Yeah. And um, I still have a bunch of those. Like, I think think Rough Cuts is gone, if I'm even saying that. It was on Secret Records. You ever heard of that label? I have. Secret Records. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's rare, obviously. And uh, Leader of the Pack, a cover of Leader of the Pack was on that record. Wow. Okay, so... Um uh, hanging out with Dee Snyer and me and my brother, and I think me and my brother and bro- this is really dumb. But we were we we're punks. Watchtower, we had just I was in Watchtower at the time. We are all wearing the new brand new, and they're this is this is embarrassing. They're all white, white t shirts, <laughs> Watchtower shirts. We're all three wearing them. So we're easy to pick out. Oh, you these guys are together. Obviously, one of them's in a band, and they're they're pushing <laughs> nice kids. Oh, look at the kids! They got a r- little rock and roll band. Anyway, we were just excited, you know. Your first band T-shirt, right? Yeah. And I had talked all those guys into wearing them because you know Brian and Randy, they were they were into it. They were like, "Fuck yeah!" You know, you know everyone knows how it is. You're for early bands, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you're 18 years old, whatever and uh i guess randy would have been 16 or 17 we're 18 months apart he's november i'm march see what i'm saying so um d snyder i'm i'm like i can't even think of enough questions to ask him hey i'm a singer what do you do uh, you know i don't know oh my god you know total i'm not worthy all the way around nicest guys and i'm being treated like you know hey kid nice to meet you Keep on rocking! Don't let anyone tell you what. Don't trust anyone over thirty. Better, you know, it's <laughs> that kind of advice from Uncle D, right? <laughs> and I'm just worshiping the whole thing. I'm totally loving life, and it's one of the greatest moments. And I think the only like idols I had sort of met at that time were Saxon. You know, maybe eight or nine months to a year earlier. Um, And I, uh, they both write the stories rival each other. But the D. Snyder and the Twisted Sister story is is interesting by way of uh, D. Snyder said uh, comes up to me and he kind of goes, "Hey man, uh, I don't know why he just thought it would be a good idea to do this." But he holds out his hand; he's got a joint in his hand, and he goes, "I don't do drugs." So I got to get rid of this. Can I give this to you to get rid of you, get rid of it? Because I, I don't want to. I I don't need this. I don't want this. Someone just gave it to me, and I don't want it to get into the wrong hands. And I'd rather have someone who enjoys this that lifestyle to have this. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I uh, so I'm like, oh yeah, cool, cool, cool. So I think I. May have, I just put it in my pocket and kind of forgot about it, so I remember uh even up to like you know six months to a year later living in a duplex with Randy and brian and uh I had you know of course posters everywhere, and uh I had a like a of course a ziploc bag. And I had a uh, like a business card side. This was given to me by D. Snyder in 1983. Da 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 da. da. And there's a fucking joint in this. And I had it come <laughs> tacked onto the wall next to a Twisted Sister poster or something. Well, I come I come home at one point. It's That later I don't know when it was, and it was gone. Uh, <laughs> of course, it was. Yeah, because roommates, <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah, they're like. Oh, man, why is this here? That's stupid. I'm just going to smoke this. (laughs) I think I was mad for a minute, and I was just like, why would I get mad? I bet D doesn't remember that. That's great. I I think he remembers or might recall uh, that show and maybe meeting a bunch of kids and then kind of putting it together years later because you remember in Metal Edge magazine – um we should mention Jerry Miller the editor for Metal Edge magazine. She recently passed away. Thought that was terrible news. So moment of silence for her. Um she was always super super cool. Do you remember Metal Edge magazine uh, used to put I forget what they called what the segment was called. The way they were and it had like childhood photos of everyone riding their tricycle and their big wheel and birthday party and halloween you know silly shit little cute baby photos and you recall that okay yeah yeah well they did one on dangerous toys and there's a picture of me holding my kitty and there's a picture of well by golly there's a picture of me and d snyder from that night and me wearing my white watchtower shirt (laughs) and d snyder's got his arm around he's pointing at the camera like d always did and and uh and I, I love that photo anyway they it's in that segment of uh so it was a a national that photo from that night was published in a a, a national publication wow cool. yeah so yeah 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 wow. uh that was a great that's a great great story and then years later uh you know when the things that happened to me uh had happened to me um whenever D would play, he has his uh, syndicated, you know, show on satellite radio, uh, Hair Nation, right? House of Hair. House of Hair. House of Hair is his show. Whenever he plays uh, Dangerous Toys, it's usually scared, and he always does shout-outs to me. And that makes me feel so good. It makes me feel like, Okay, wait a minute. He saw that photo of us from eighty three in Metal Edge magazine five years later and put <laughs> that together. Oh, that's the dude from Texas at the, uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. and so he put it together. and so, yeah,
0: Pretty that's cool. awesome. That's yeah. awesome. A joint from D. Snyder. Wow. <laughs>
1: yeah, I saw him uh, I saw him years later at the back room, ironically. Uh, when he was on tour with uh, one of his other, one of his sort of solo projects, Desperado, or... Widowmaker. Widowma- it was with Widowmaker, and I asked him about the Desperado tapes, and he gave me a, uh, his address, or, and I wrote him, and he, he wrote me back and sent me the tape, and I can't find the tape. It pisses oh. me off. I think it had Bernie Torme on guitar.
0: Five burr on drums.
1: Yes, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't have it. It's probably on YouTube now. But anyway, uh I remember that night at the back room. Him and his tour manager had walked in, and he, of course, he saw me. and was like, "Dude, what's up? Hey, da 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 da." And his tour manager handed me a Twisted Sister pick. It's on my desk over there, and on one set, Twisted Sister, and it's, it's wrecked. It's faded. It's old as shit. It's probably from the late '70s, dude. and and it says grayson's on the back which was a music store in new york yeah okay that was hand put in my hand by d snyder's tour manager in front of d snyder like (laughs) it dude's killer that's that's better than the joint (laughs) yeah 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 of course
0: yeah d snyder one of the greatest yeah um dave's turn i uh my I don't know if you know this, but my next story is uh involves Ginger Wildheart, who you're familiar with uh for those who are listening who aren't familiar with Ginger, his band is called the Wild Hearts, and over in Europe they're a big deal, and they never really got a break in North America and uh never really got radio play or whatever in the states but overseas they're a they're a pretty big deal and um <clears throat> So Ginger uh, was in town, again, one year for South by Southwest. And I, I was introduced to him and I met him. And I'm a journalist at this point. So, you know, he's he's kind enough to take my email address and whatever. Well, fast forward, um, I get a phone call one day. I'm sitting at home in South Austin. I get a phone call and it's Ginger. And he says... Hey, Dave, it's, uh, it's Ginger. I'm in Texas. I'm recording my first solo album. I'm at Willie Nelson's studio. And he said he says, do you know where that is? And I said, I've heard of it and I'll find out. And I said, how long are you there? And he goes, I'll be here for, you know, a week or something like that, working on this album. And he said, if you can get over to the studio, it'd be great to see you and hang out a little bit. And I'm like, I mean, this is out of the blue; just totally blew my mind. So, at the time, I'm writing for Classic Rock magazine out of the UK, and I know that Classic Rock and the British music press in general just love Ginger and the Wild Hearts. So, I email my editor at Classic Rock, and I say, "Hey, did you know that Ginger Wildheart is in Texas recording his uh, first solo album at Willie Nelson's studio?" And my editor said, "I think I heard something about that, but I wasn't sure." And I said, "He just called me and confirmed it." And I said, "How about I go to the studio and I interview him, and we do a we do an exclusive feature for the magazine on the on site at Willie Nelson Studio with Ginger Wildheart as he puts together his first solo album." The editor uh, Scott Rowley, who who I, I believe you know uh, is all over it. He says, yes, yes, please. Oh my God. Yes. That's a exclusive scoop, man. This is a big deal. So I go so to, the I st- don't,
1: I don't know. I don't know Willie's studio to be called Willie's studio no, other than Peternalis.
0: Peternalis. Peternalis right. studio. Okay. Yeah. Right. He owns it. Uh, he owned it and then lost it during the IRS debacle and then right. got back, uh, people associate it with Willie Nelson. Uh, he's He's been part owner or exclusive owner for years and years and years, and he's cut a bunch of his own records there, and a lot of people have worked there because apparently it's a state-of-the-art studio. So I look this place up. I drive out there. Sure enough, Ginger's sitting outside waiting for me. We go in. We're hanging out in the studio, and it's just me, Ginger, and this guy named Ralph, who's the engineer. And Ralph is an old friend of Ginger's who at the time was living in San Antonio, so he drove up for these sessions. So we're hanging out, having a great old time. Uh, I brought some Texas beer uh, just to, to give Ginger a taste of some local brew. And uh, we're hanging out. We do the interview. And Ginger says, he goes, hey, uh, any chance you know how to play piano? And I said, I don't. And he goes, damn it. And he said, my piano player, the guy I hired to, to play piano on a couple tracks, apparently isn't going to show up today. And if you could play piano, uh, I was going to let you do it. And I said, dang, man. There could you could have asked a- me that on the phone, bro. <laughs> hey, yeah. <laughs> I would have done a crash course or something. I don't know. But he said, so he says, okay, um, I'll try and figure it out myself. And I'm sitting there watching him. And he's plunking around on this piano. Obviously, he plays guitar, and he's a, he's a pretty good musician, but he's not confident in his piano playing. And I watched him mess around with the keys on this piano for about 10 minutes, and he had it. And he's like, okay, I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll tape. And he recorded it. And then he says, uh, he comes up to me, and he goes, you know— I couldn't help, but know. he, he says, I love your voice, dude. I want to, I want to do something with your voice while you're in the studio. And I was like, what, (laughs) you know, I said, I'm not a singer. And he goes, no, no, no. And I don't want you to sing. It's your speaking voice. I, I, we got to do something with that voice while you're here in the studio with all these microphones, et cetera. And I was like, you tell me whatever you want. And I would be honored to be on a ginger wild heart record. Oh yeah. So he gets a scrap of paper, and he's got this song called Love. And what he wants is sort of a, spo- a creepy spoken word outro for this song using my voice. But we don't know what I'm going to say. So he says, okay, the song is all about this and that. And he goes, okay, so here's what I want you to say. And so if you get the album, the album's called Valor Del Corazon. And he admitted that later on that his Spanish was a little flubbed. It should be Valor de Corazon. Um, but anyway, you can
1: Rock find- and roll people don't care about that.
0: Show. Yeah, and he's British and he's trying to title it yeah. in a Spanish title and whatever. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? It's rock and roll. So uh, the album came out in 2005. And so we're in the studio and he goes, okay, here's what I want you to say. He writes it down on a scrap of paper. And it's basically like me being almost like a... Uh, uh, a creepy spurned boyfriend or lover or something like that. So I'm going, she said she loved me. She wasn't lying. Was she? Why would she lie? You know, you know, it's something like that. Oh, cool. It's, so it's like this real creepy outro with my voice. And then he, what What he wants, here's the exclamation point. What he wants at the end is something like Bon Scott at the end of uh, Night Prowler where he does the jazz butt. Anu nanu, you know what I mean. So ginger wants ginger wants this real creepy voice to sort of outro the song, and then right at the last minute say something silly. And I'm like, okay, well, what's the what's the punchline? And he goes, ah, hmm, uh, he goes, I got it. We're talking about liars, right? We're talking about the girl was a liar. She lied to me, whatever. So here's here it is. At the end of your thing, say pants on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so he wants me to pause after this long, creepy outro and leave a little, you know, pause for just a moment, just like Bond Scott does on that Night, night uh, Prowler song. And then the punchline is, pants on fire.
1: <laughs> that is so I go, awesome.
0: I go into the vocal booth. I've got these headphones on. I've never been in a vocal booth in my life. I don't even know the cadence he wants me to say this stuff. I've never heard the song before. And so they're in the control room and I'm looking at them. I'm taking visual cues from them. And he's like, okay, we're rolling. And I just started with this. And I was like, she said she loved me. She blah blah. blah." Band's on fire. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, I look over at the control room and he's like, he's just kind of in pieces, you know? And he's like, oh. And he gets on the mic and he comes into my headphones and he's like, Dude, that was amazing. You sound terrifying, mate. (laughs) And I said, "Can I do it again?" Was that okay? And he goes, "He goes, you could do it again if you want, but that was great." So I think we did three takes and and kept the first one, of course, right? But uh, I am on Ginger Wildheart's solo album, Valor de Corazon, his first solo album, two thousand five, on a song called Love. That's me doing the creepy outro voice at the end.
1: That is freaking awesome. (laughs)
0: <laughs> we had a great time dude i was probably at that studio for oh my god too long maybe eight hours or something like that it was holy a, crap. it was a full afternoon and it was starting to get into evening and i was like i gotta get out of here before i'm spending the night in a sleeping bag or something you know but i'll never forget it. great memory
1: yeah i've, I've never met ginger but the uh the lady in Edinburgh, Scotland that turned me on to Danko Jones uh, used to used to talk about Ginger all the time. And I think that uh, she, uh, her name's Allison, I think she gave Broken Teeth uh, CDs or turned Ginger on to Broken Teeth. I gave him some of your stuff too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So huh. he's been, he's been... Being spoon-fed broken teeth for 21 years.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember I reached out to him to get a quote from him for one of your press releases. Oh, that's right. He's the guy that's that right. described you as a pissed-off ACDC.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's, that's exactly rock. right. Yeah. So he's inf- he's infamous and famous.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I love it. I love it. Yeah.
0: Oh, by the way, the Ginger article came out in Classic Rock. I think that was my first full-length feature in classic rock magazine so that was you know the cherry on top of that whole hangout with ginger that the article came out great and ginger was real happy with it so, and i was thrilled with it and started a long uh, writing relationship with uh classic rock as far as getting away from doing album reviews and doing major features uh, i got another one since you mentioned saxon earlier and yeah uh, this is This is another one of those Spinal Tap stories. So Saxon is playing at uh, what was, it was called the Metro. Then it was called the Dirty Dog. It's basically a music club on 6th Street in downtown Austin, Texas. So uh, the gig that night is Saxon with Udo. Udo Dirk Schneider from Accept. I was there. And I'm uh, downtown Austin, Texas. At this time, I think I'm writing for knac.com. And I am trying to schedule interviews with Biff Byford and Udo Dirk Schneider. And I I lock in the interviews. I go to the venue. Um, I I bump into the guys. Um, Udo and I we go onto Udo's tour bus and I interview Udo. It's just me and Udo on the bus, and you know he's drinking whiskey and he's smoking his Winston's and it's like wow, no wonder that he's got that voice, <laughs> you know.
1: Um well, so we, you know, Jeff Jeff Tate smokes like a chimney too.
0: Yeah, I, I've always found that fascinating. So though. it's
1: not necessarily uh it's conditioning. It's not, hey, I'm gonna do this to ensure that I sound like the, the yeah. devil gargling razor blades. I'm just yeah. I, I just smoke. If you smoke, smoke. There's a there's a, a famous story about Ted Templeman. Uh I think I'm saying that right, the producer. We need to do a show on Ted. Yes. Uh, when he's producing Van Halen, where Roth had quit smoking and started working out two weeks before they start cutting vocals on, I think, the first Van Halen record. And Ted was like, you know, he's cutting some songs, and he's like, hey, stop, stop, stop. Dave, what's what's wrong with your voice? It sounds totally different. Oh, man, I quit smoking. I've been working out. I started eating good. And all of a sudden, he's like, okay, hey, we're taking the rest of the week off. You're going to start smoking again, you're going to go grab a cheeseburger, and you're going to just hang out by the pool and get high, okay? Just go do that all week, and then we'll see you next week, okay? (laughs) Because it it fucked up his voice. It's all about conditioning. Anyway, back to Udo. I love Udo.
0: Please continue. Yeah, so I'm sitting on the bus with Udo. We're doing the interview. We have a great time. Um, We go back into the venue. Saxon, I think, is already on at this point, so I caught the second half of their set. Uh, Unfortunately, that's the price you pay for interviewing Udo when he's done with his set. So I missed the first half but caught the second half of Saxon's set, and now I'm scheduled to interview Biff uh, after Saxon's set. So they, they come off stage. We all walk out into the street. I had met them previously during the day, so they knew who I am and what I'm there for. Um, so I'm walking with the band over to the tour bus. The tour bus is parked on 6th Street. It's parked right there on 6th Street. And we get out to the bus, and nobody can open the door. So I'm standing there with all of Saxon and their road crew. In the
1: middle can- of the street.
0: Yeah, on yeah. 6th Street, yeah. yeah.
1: It's two Which in the morning. Uh, scenario is kind of like Bourbon Street. Yeah, right. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like New Orleans or something. Yeah. You're in the smack dab in the middle of it all, and there's mucky muck going on everywhere. Yeah, right. it's, it's the Spurs. bar
0: district. It's the party zone. It's, it's crazy, it's, right? It's some
1: streets are some streets are blocked off. It's like a festival every yeah. weekend. Right.
0: Yeah, right. So I'm standing outside this tour bus with Saxon and their road crew, and we can't get onto the bus. Well, they start banging on the door, and one there's a guy inside the bus, the driver or somebody, a road guy or whatever. He sticks his head out the side window, and he can't unlock the door from the inside for some reason. So we got a guy inside the bus that can't unlock the door and a bunch of guys on the outside of the bus that can't open the door. And it's just a spinal tap moment, big time. I'm standing with all these long hair British rock star dudes outside of a tour bus on 6th Street. And I'm nobody- sorry,
1: I can't help but insert Benny Hill music. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> clowny be- music. Yeah. Benny Hill's perfect because they're British, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be perfect. So where they're passing some tools back and forth through the bus that, uh, somebody goes back into the venue and comes back with like a crowbar or something. And then the guy on the bus has a toolbox and they're trying to, they're trying to work on this door and they can't get it open. And I realize that my car is parked around the corner and I've got a toolbox in the trunk and I'm thinking it'll take me five minutes to walk over to my car and get this toolbox. And maybe I have something that, that might work. So I go back to my car, pop the trunk, get the toolbox. And while I'm in there, I realize there's a Jack in my car. I'm going to bring the Jack and just see if that helps too. So we get back to the bus. I get back to the bus. The guys are still stuck out there. And I say, I've got, I've got this toolbox and I got this Jack. And they look at the Jack and they go, let's try the Jack. So we wedge the Jack under the tour bus door and start to crank it. And it pops the door open.
1: And all of a sudden, I'm the hero. <laughs> you're you're tweaking those hinges, and if the if the deadbolt is stuck and it's stuck, you're gonna have to jimmy the the deadbolt. And yeah, yeah. I, wow. I,
0: yeah, I don't know anything about the workings of the latch system on a Well, door, they
1: obviously. well they probably had to they probably had to chain that door shut when they were rolling down the road. Which yeah, because it as, was
0: probably broken after that.
1: About as safe as a tight wire, but yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: But I got them wow. on the bus, and, you know, they love me for it because they're beat, dude. It's 2 in the morning. They just got oh. done with a, a, a show. They want to get on the bus. They want to towel off. They want to drink, and they're stuck outside their own tour bus. Oh. So my jack pops the door. I go onto the bus. It's uh, Heineken's all around for Metal Dave. And, uh, I do the interview with, with Biff and the guys are giving me, uh, this is the metalhead tour. So it's about 2000. Yeah. Right around 2000. They give me about five passes to the next night show in San Antonio, uh, as, as payment, I guess, or thanks, I guess for, for helping them out. And I couldn't make it to that show, but, uh, I still have a couple of the passes hanging on my wall here. And. Every time I look at that particular pass, it reminds me of the day that uh, (laughs) their wheels of steel were locked up tight, man. Oh, (laughs)
1: Oh, that's pretty good. Did you get your interview? I
0: did, yeah.
1: Oh, that's good. That's good. Wow, that's awesome.
0: Uh, Let's go with, uh, you mentioned Gene Hoagland.
1: Ooh, that's a good one.
0: I know you've spent a lot of time with him. First of all, tell people who he is in case anybody listening isn't aware of his amazing... Well, and,
1: you, and, and, you can, and you can help me do that. He is a bit of a phenomenon. Yes. Uh, he is from Long Beach, California. He, I think his birthday is August 30th, I want to say. I have no idea. Uh he for years and years and years on my birthday, rarely misses a phone. I rarely miss a phone call or a text from Gene Hoagland wishing me a happy birthday. He's very uh what's the word? Guileless, guileless guy he's very humble and very real and he's he's suit he's like a hyper intelligent kind of guy. Yeah, Very, very, uh, I would guess book smart But I don't know him to be a big reader But you understand yeah. the type of personality that he is um, He's probably one of the most talented drummers In the industry yeah. That a lot of people just don't seem to know about for whatever He's a um, beast Yeah, he is a beast I'll yeah. throw a couple of uh, He currently is in Testament Right But he's played with Death and of course the rhythm section from Testament is from Death. It's Steve DiGiorgio and, and Gene Hoagland. From it from a certain uh, slew sure. of records with Death. Um so Gene Hoagland is his his first like known band was Dark Angel. And Dark Angel is still is sort of in and out of uh, commission. You know, they they do they do festivals and they they tour Europe. And uh, they've been around since the 80s, since the mid to early to mid 80s when they were children. Yeah. Um, Speaking of, Gene um, is not rumored, but uh, in fact confirmed uh, to be in the studio with Slayer. uh, When Slayer was recorded, Slayer was still on uh, Metal Blade, they were recording the Haunting the Chapel tour. Uh, I'm sorry. The Haunting the Chapel EP. Right. Um, uh, when Slayer toured the Haunting the Chapel uh, record, they were touring the first Show No Mercy, and Haunting the Chapel had just come out, and Hell Awaits wasn't out yet. I people on who watch Talk Louder have heard me talk about that infamous gig with uh, Militia Watchtower Slayer at the Ritz downtown, which is like a block away from where You're the he- Saxons Hero.
0: Correct. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so. <laughs> right, many years later. So uh anyway, Gene the recording haunting the chapel for Metal Blade and a young Gene Holand, probably sixteen or seventeen years old, sixteen maybe, is holding down the kick drums because when Lombardo's going on the kick drums, they're sliding across the fucking floor. Yeah. <laughs> and Gene, you know, kind of a hefty fella sometimes, big big dude, you know. He's he's holding those kick drums down and the red button is on. They're re- they're recording the song. So next time you hear ha- any song on haunting the chapel, think about a young Gene Hoagland with Holy his cow. paws on, on those kick drums, you know, one on the left kick, one on the right kick, holding those fuckers down while Lombardo's going Oh that's machine classic. gun. It's classic. That's it's real. Yeah, yeah, it is. So so yeah. that's that's a, an image for of Gene Hoagland. um strapping young lad Canadian uh uh Devin Townsend yeah yeah he was in he was he played on I believe all anything that's strapping young lad that's Gene on drums uh death clock yeah death clock that is Gene Hoagland so when uh his name is Smalls help me out something Smalls Brian Smalls I think is his name uh uh, the the creator of he creates cartoons and stuff. Anyway, he created the Metalocalypse cartoon series, yeah. and I'm so sorry I can't think of his name. Brandon Smalls, I think that's it.
0: Okay. Um
1: He uh, came in when when they decided that they were going to actually uh, record a real band playing those songs instead of Brandon. God, I hope I get that right. Mr. Smalls, I guess I will.
0: You go, that's
1: uh, he called, you know, who well, who can play this completely inhuman uh drumming on this these songs that I'm obviously using a drum machine? Who who can who could do this for real if I wanted to put put people instead of robots in here, you know, instead of drum machines? Yeah. And of course, Gene Hoagland was mentioned and he there was the relationship uh so jeans and death clock <coughs> dark angel strapping young lad testament i know i'm forgetting you know he was in death i know i'm forgetting a million other projects that he's on here's one that's very very interesting a few years ago a new uh godzilla movie came out and there at the end during the credits i'm sorry yeah that's right at the end of the, at the rolling credits at the end, you hear the BOC, the Blue Oyster Cult song, you know, their song Godzilla. A remake of it done by Mr. Smalls and Gene and uh, Serge Tankian from System of a Down on vocals. Yeah. And they've recorded a cover of Godzilla by uh, BOC. Anyway, that's Gene on drums when you are watching that Godzilla movie from a few years ago. And yeah. Wow. It's Gene on that. So Gene's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere. Um, And a lot of people in the underground, they know, they know who Gene Hoagland is. Sure. It's 19. Here's my story. It's 1984, maybe. And Gene is in a band Call at the time, he's he's transitioning between uh, he's in a band called War God, and that had uh, Michelle Meldrum on guitar, uh, uh, Greg, I can't remember his last name, on bass, and I and uh, I don't know if I if I remember the singer of War God anyway, they had some demos out. And that's Gene's, one of Gene's very earliest moments. And they may have, they, War God might be on a compilation, uh, an early heavy metal compilation, maybe even a metal blade, a I, I, uh, metal massacre. I, I don't, I don't know. Right. That would be a cool thing to look up. Uh, please, who people who know the uh, discography of Gene Hoagland, please comment and tell us if you found any War God recordings and where they show up. Um I had been pin pals with Michelle uh, from War God, who later on was in Phantom Blue, and then had another band called Meldrum that actually did some touring, uh, I think, worldwide with uh, Black Label Society. Um, anyway, uh, so Gene writes me a letter too, because. Uh, Michelle had turned on, turned Watchtower on to Gene, and he just became an instant Watchtower fan. He writes me a letter. He writes me, you know, Watchtower a letter, and we start conversing. We start calling each other. I end up going out to play shows in '86. Uh, Michelle and Gene drive up t- to San Francisco. Watchtower played shows in San Francisco in 86. Those, you know, Michelle and Gene, as other friends, drove up there to uh, to those uh, Bay Area shows. And then I jumped in Gene's truck, I think, and ended up back in Los Angeles with with Gene and stayed on his parents' sofa for like two weeks. <laughs> and I got to go to uh dark angel rehearsals. I got to help Dark angel load in to fender's ballroom and i uh the gon- bass player gonzo um let me play bass on a dark angel song during sound check oh wow <laughs> i awesome. mean i I think I knew like parts of the song or i could i could just tell what you know they found out I was I could play a little bit and so he just like here play just play yeah you know it was sound check it wasn't a big deal but And fenders was this infamous is an infamous uh everybody slayer metallica exodus yeah death angel even you know like uh, every band on metal blade played, played fenders you know anyway uh and i want to say that's in long beach uh but anyway uh that was during the same time it was right that was October. It was right after Cliff passed away. I see your shirt. Uh, for those of you listening, Dave's wearing a Cliff Amal t shirt with the uh with Cliff holding the two two fists out with the skull rings. It's classic. Yeah. Uh so anyway, uh that was around the time I was on the phone trying to call uh James and Lars's house and I was calling Kirk's house and I got Kirk and I got uh, that's when I got Doug from Watchtower the the Metallica audition yada 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 it was also during the same time that I ran into Jason Newstead at who I was also I just told that story on a previous episode yeah. uh, that's coming soon uh, and about how I ran into Jason at the country club In Rosita, which was Flotsam opening for Megadeth, Uh, so there's a whole lot of Gene right there. I have letter. I still have letters where we were pen pals, as we used to say. Um, I was pen pals with James Hetfield for years as well. But me and Gene have been able to stay in touch. Uh, You know, I've I've got John Bush stories out the wazoo. But dude. Our show is sh- You realize, talk louder is getting longer,
0: yeah. and longer,
1: yeah. longer, <laughs> and longer. I think that we're just getting stride and getting comfortable with what's going on here.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but we do have to wrap it up. Uh, but I
0: enjoyed it. I know. I know there was some maybe some hesitancy going into the show about, oh boy, we don't want to do a whole show where we're just name dropping. But, uh,
1: but the story. Why store- not? The Why store- not, man?
0: The stories are great, and uh, there's no point in us keeping them to ourselves. You know, I'm I'm hoping people enjoy this kind of thing, and uh, uh, as much as I enjoy sharing the stories, so the, the
1: the good news, or you could even call it bad news, would be that we could do a part two of this.
0: Oh, we we could do multiple parts of yeah, this. Yeah, you know? name
1: droppers. We could do a I, name dropper series.
0: Yeah, I I think. <laughs> I think we say that at the end of every show too. We could do another one of these and another one of these and another one of these, but, uh, but uh, let's wrap this one up for today and move on to our shot of rock and roll. Today's shot of rock and roll for this episode. uh, Again, this one comes from a listener. So uh, I want to continue to encourage our listeners to send suggestions our way. Uh, We do use these things. Uh, We do enjoy hearing from you. I have a guy uh, on the YouTube page, Jason, who is a uh, is a big Metal Church fan. So I was going to ask you if you have a, any Metal Church stories. I know you toured with them at one point. Um, and or if you could just name a favorite Metal Church album. What do you got on Metal Church?
1: Uh, I love the first two records. I think that Metal Church is one of those bands that the story that I heard was that first album was actually, I believe, to be recorded and released on their own label and, uh, or, you know, originally. And kind of like the, the Motley Crue Too Fast for Love, it was put out on their own kind of label and then it sold so many copies of it they couldn't keep track of it and which is a great problem to have right sure and cool. and then someone heard about it and signed them and what it was is i heard that it was uh because that that record is a monster and i think terry date who's now a famous you know he 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 made pantera sound like pantera right, right. well he one of the records that he did early years was, uh, you know, this is eighty four, eighty five. He He's recorded the first Metal Church record, I believe, or engineered it or something. And uh, he was kind of the secret weapon on that record. Anyway, um, that record sold so many copies that I think the guys in Metallica called their attorney. I think it was Peter Paterno and said, dude. Our buddies from Seattle area Metal Church, they've sold like 5,000 copies of this Independent release You need to call them and Reissue the record and give them a deal it Just just make it happen And yeah. I want to say that's I'm dropping all the right names and everything I'm pretty sure yeah. but, but in those early years Metal Church was one of the bands That came through Austin and played At the Ritz on 6th Street Which is you know, a block away from where Metal Dave was the hero to Saxon. <laughs> <laughs> it's a recurring theme. <laughs> well, you know, the the, the Ritz is ho- holy ground. Yeah, the, sure. I don't I don't know so much about the Dirty Dog and the Sixes and Nines or whatever the hell it was called during yeah. that Saxon or Nudo tour. But Sixth Street, you could just say holy ground. I cut my teeth as a singer down there, specifically in the Ritz. But the old Steamboat was there. Uh, the black cat was down there. Old Austin was really cool. Old Sixth Street was really cool. Now it's just a fucking shot bar. Yeah. So anyway, um, we are a college town. Don't hate us for that. Uh, so so anyway, they're at the Ritz and they're they're on tour with Omen, I believe. I believe it to be metal church and Omen, uh-huh. and uh, Militia is on. My buddies in Militia are are the openers, right? The local openers. And so we're, I'm down there with Militia hanging out, and Metal Church is all there, and I meet all the guys, and they were awesome. And this is the original Metal Church. Uh, Kurt Vanderhoof, uh, Duke Erickson on bass, uh, David Wayne on vocals. Oh, what's the what's the drummer's name? Kurt something. It's another Kurt or something. Anyway... Uh, I believe it to be Craig Wells on guitar, on second guitar. Anyway, OG, right? Okay. They have this roadie name that everyone just called Louie, but his name is not Louie. His his last name is Lewis. His first name is Bill. So, Bill Lewis, but they called him Louie. And I'm still uh, acquainted with Louie on Facebook. And, uh, I've told the story at some point, I think it was in uh, Rob Chavez, uh, um, uh, Metalworks, you know, uh, interviews, recent uh, uh, interviews where I told the story about uh, Louie giving me, you know, the, the kick drum, when you see a band and the logo is huge on the kick drum, as big as you can make your logo on a kick drum, a 22 inch, 24 inch, decal that goes on you know in the 80s it was just a giant sticker that they stuck on there I guess that was the cheaper route now they can print them right they print right on the drum head but anyway uh, it makes the drum head by the way it makes the drum head sound like shit when you put a giant thick ass hunk of plastic a sticker all over it it makes the drum sound can make the drum sound terrible anyway That was what they had what we had back in the eighties. Louis gave me one of those fucking uh it was the original metal church logos that was as big as two feet wide, you know, it was this fucking uh, big. And he it was like a little bent or something, and they had a bunch of them, and he gave me one, and I had that thing stuck on a suitcase for a thousand years. Until the suitcase just fucking fell apart. (laughs) And I love that story. And I love, I, Louie was just so great. And he was just a regular, like a bro, like a, Hey dude, you know, Hey man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the roadie for metal church, dude. Hey, let's drink a beer. You know, he was just a normal dude. Yeah. And, um, that's, what's great. That's, that's my story. Uh, I could, I could go on and on and on. Um, when Mike Howard uh, joined Metal Church, we had uh, great times with that, and uh, that was with the toys, of course, and at the time uh, that I saw the early Metal Church, at it, the it, time frame for the story, I was in Watchtower at the time, and that would have been their very first tour, and I'll never forget it, and yeah. so that's my Metal Church story for today, to be continued.
0: Yeah, yeah. Those first two albums are really great. Uh, I only saw them once. Uh, but David Wayne was singing they were touring the dark and I want to say they were on a bill with Anthrax. It was Anthrax, Metal Church and I want to say DRI, but it could have been only yeah. Was
1: it DRI? Yeah, no, it was uh that came through Austin as well. Did you see it in Austin? No, I saw it in San Antonio. So so DRI, Metal Church and Anthrax yeah played Uh, at the Austin City Coliseum.
0: Okay, I saw it at Sunken Gardens. It's also
1: Holy Ground, and talk louder, uh, people have heard me call that Holy Ground and have also heard me call now, say that now it is a grassy knoll.
0: Yeah, I saw saw that bill in San Antonio at the Sunken Gardens, and actually those uh, anthrax and metal church were doing an in-store, and I went to the in-store, and I pulled a poster off the outside of the building wherever they were doing the in-store and I was going to use the back of the poster for the autographs and so I went through the line and the anthrax guys signed first and <laughs> this is kind of funny uh, Scott Ian of course signs his name Scott Ian and then writes the big knot on it right And so then I go down the line a little further to the metal church guys. And one of the metal church guys puts an S in front of the knot. So now it says snot. (laughs) And I remember at the time I was so disappointed. I was like, oh my God, you ruined my Scott Ian autograph, you know? And I was like, oh, whatever. And I probably still have it here somewhere, but it's from that that tour that I was just uh, mentioning. Well, cool. The metal church, there you go uh, to our listener who uh, suggested uh, some Metal Church info, and I'm sure there'll be more in the future.
1: I have a quick shot of rock and roll for you. Just a Uh quick one. What is your, this happens to be just like something I'm throwing up here, what happens to be Metal Dave's favorite David Bowie song?
0: (laughs) Oh my God,
1: man. Uh, Because that's what's cool about Talk Louder. We literally can talk about anything. Yeah. Payment related. So yeah, give me your give me a David Bowie. Okay, so
0: first of all, I'm going to say first of all, I'm going to confess that I don't have a lot of David Bowie albums. So that's obviously going to exclude the deep cuts, which is going to be the 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 song the song that the the David Bowie freak is looking for is one of the deep cuts that I'm unaware of. Right. So right. I have to I have to say that up front, um, based on the hits in the songs that I know, even, even that is like almost impossible. Um, I've,
1: I've, I've always loved Space don't, Oddity. Don't make yourself out to be super lame. <laughs> yeah. You know, just, just give us your best. I mean, yeah. what is your, what do you think? What's your favorite? What's the deepest cut you can think of? Well, I don't
0: even know. It's Zero? not deep cut, Nothing. but I was just gonna paraphrase, you know, uh, I, I've always loved Space Oddity because I love the lyrics in that song. I thought it was really uh, interesting that somebody was writing a song from that perspective at that time, uh, and of course it went right in. It blended right in with the whole David Bowie persona.
1: But I think I, it's, I think it's called Space Oddity.
0: Yeah, that's what I. Isn't that what I said? I thought you said Odyssey. Uh, no, Space Oddity.
1: Man, I'm just giving you all kinds of shit. All right. <laughs> you asked the question and you
0: won't <laughs> let me answer. <laughs> uh, but here, here you go. I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to go with. Uh, probably suffragette city. I think that song is just a rocker. And, uh, but David Bowie has so much great stuff. His voice is so elastic. He can do so many things with his voice. And so there's certain songs I like when he sings in that low register. And then there's songs that I like that. He's just kind of rocking it out. Um, and you know, another one of my favorite songs by him is, uh, believe it or not, I love let's dance. Uh, which was yes. kind of a mid '80s period thing for him, and it, if I'm not mistaken, and our producer Jared could probably uh, probably knows this off the top of his head, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say I believe that is the first time that Stevie Ray Vaughan was recorded on a major label because he was the guitar player on that track, "Let's Dance,"
1: and the whole I, I don't know what what year "Let's Dance" record came came out, but around here we already knew stevie ray vaughn
0: sure but the i rest don't
1: know the that he i don't know that he was a major uh i don't know if he had a major recording co- stevie i don't know if he had a major contract yet
0: i don't but think but i know
1: that i know that david bowie used to whenever he was in town he would sneak out to the continental club and that's kind of how he knows um charlie, like charlie sexton me. and 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 that's how he knows stevie yeah. so yeah yeah uh it's crazy yeah um suffragette city though. suffragette city doesn't surprise me because it's kind of punk rock
0: yeah exactly it's kind of
1: like sleaze rock punk exactly. rock kind of a thing it fits metal day for
0: sure yeah exactly so that's an impossible question i also love that song heroes but uh to answer your question if i can only pick one i'm going with suffragette city for all the things that you just said it's kind of yes. sleazy it's kind of slinky it's it's rocking and uh yeah it's just a great rock song All right, let's wrap this one up. And, uh, we want to remind our listeners again, please send us your comments, suggestions, leave us, uh, comments on the Facebook, YouTube, et cetera. We do enjoy reading them. Uh, and as you can tell from today's show, we do use them from time to time. So we're always open to your ideas. Um, with that. Uh, don't forget, hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Uh, follow our Facebook page, likes and comments, all that good stuff. Uh, we're also on Spotify and iTunes. With that, Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host Jason Mcmasters, signing off for another episode of the Talk Louder podcast.